This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. It is Thursday, August 19th, 2010. This is episode 38. Once again, I am Paul Fox, and with me, as usual, is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Kevin Ma. Woo! How you doing? I'm good, Paul. How about you? I'm pretty good. A little bit under the weather, but uh, I'm starting to have some recovery now. How's your week been? Uh, it's kind of busy, you know, as always, work. Um, also got the film festival going, so, you know, busy with that as well, and it's going to get even worse next week. Yeah, yeah. So it's trying to, uh, trying to get some rest now before the mess starts. All right. Well, before we get into some of our news this week, uh, let's have a little bit of an update. You, uh, got to see the M. Night Shyamalan film, The Last Airbender, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. But we do want to hear Kevin's take on it, since he's now partaking, partaken in the viewing of this classic. <laughs> what are your um, thoughts, Kevin? Oh dear! Um, first of all, I fell asleep about twenty-five minutes in because the 3D was really, really tiring on the eyes. Uh, I forgot. Did you watch this in 3D, Paul? Yes, I did. Yeah, the the 3D is really non-effect. Um, at points. When my eyes were getting retired, really I took off the, sun, the the glasses and I started watching it and it worked. You know, even if it's a little blurry, I just treated it as like an out of focus movie and I just watched it normally. But um, no, I, it got to me about 30 minutes and I fell asleep for about 10 minutes. I woke up and it got progressively worse. The dialogue is, is terrible, it's deadpan. Certain facts are just randomly repeated over several scenes without the need to. Um, I'm not even really sure if M. Night Shyamalan directed this. I think he just he just he just gave the script to his kids and let them handle the camera and everything. Um, although there are some really good technical stuff. Um, in my review last week for um, Yellow Pages Hong Kong, I gave it initially two stars for the visual element. Um, it was the the special effects are great, and um, I think some of the good technical stuff that M. Night Shyamalan is good at is there, but the rest of the you know, the rest of the film, like the dialogue, the story, the, the acting in general, and the 3D dragged it down. So I gave it two stars and I had to take it one, I had to take one star off because um, the 3D is the only version available and I had to change my score accordingly. So yeah, uh, Last Airbender, one star out of five and it deserves every bit of it. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty bad and I, I won't go into the reasons why, which we covered a few episodes back. Um, I, I will simply say this, um, everybody that I've discussed the film with seems to be of the opinion that, you know, the, the animated series is excellent. And as I said, I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but it sounds to me like this was just something that if he wanted to do it and take it seriously, it should have been done maybe as a mini series or, you know, as a television series, a high, a high budget television series. And it's a shame because I think, as I said before, this is going to end up going the way of Golden Compass in that we've we've got the first movie, but because the first movie ends up doing so poorly, there's no chance of the other movies getting done. Actually, it hasn't done that badly in, in the States. Um, I think it made, it's made more than Salt so far, about $120 million. It's not going to... It's not going to uh, break even in the States alone, but 
maybe, maybe with international, it might end up breaking even. And with the whole structure of the story being uh, planned around three story, three films, um, or actually three seasons of the anime series, um, you never know. I think the good the good choice that Paramount should make right now is continue the series because there is is potential there. But dump and Night Shyamalan. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right, it's time to talk about some of our East Screen news for this week. Um, up first, we're having the Summer Film Festival here in Hong Kong, which um, opened last week. The opening film was the new film by um, uh, Anne Hoy, All About Love, which we've talked a little bit about before. Um, Kevin, have you been out to see this film or any of the other films of note in the festival? No, I did not go see All About Love, although I've heard um, that it's actually not too bad. Um, I've seen two films so far. Um, one is the Taiwanese, in, I think Taiwanese Invested, um, directed by a Malaysian uh, film, Pinoy Sunday. It's about Filipino um, migrant workers that are working in Taipei, and um, I quite liked it. Um, it starts off as this kind of cinema verite look at these people's lives but then as it went along it became more of a comedy and it became a, a, a really charming road trip movie about these two guys who are trying to bring a sofa back to their factory um it's short and sweet it's about 85 minutes long but the, but you know even though it dragged a little bit the characters are really interesting uh the direction is really strong and it was just generally a really charming film i enjoyed it a lot um, but on the non-Asian um, no, I, or non-Asian side, I watched a Peruvian film named uh, The Milk of Sorrow, which was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Foreign Film, along with um, The Prophet, uh, White, White Ribbon, and The Secret in Their Eyes, which tells you how strong this film is. Uh, unfortunately, I fell asleep uh, through bits of it, but um, the stuff that I watch, as I mentioned on my Twitter, is... Even though it's paced slowly, it's uh, very beautifully shot, and uh, there's a nice dash of uh, magical realism, South American um, magical realism that I I read before, and I and I really was really glad to see it in the film. So uh, so far, a good start to the film festival. Um, I get busy starting tomorrow with um, the beginning of this Iranian film trilogy. I think the Yusuf trilogy, that's what it's called. Um, Egg, the first film, starts tomorrow for me. Then on Saturday is Milk, uh, the second film in the series, and Edward Yang's The Terrorizers. And on Sunday, it's My Name is Khan, uh, the third film in the trilogy, Honey, and the Japanese film Seaside Motel. Uh, how about you, Paul? I think you're going to uh, My Name is Khan, right? Yeah, I'll be there on Sunday to see that. And actually, I'm a little bit, uh, I'm a little bit irked because, I, as I mentioned last time, I've been wanting to see that film for some time. And I was very excited to see that it was getting screenplay here in the festival. And the other day I went on iTunes and was looking at their new rental releases and they had it there for $3.99 as a rental. And I was so tempted, but I had already bought the tickets. So uh, I'm just going to wait and see it on Sunday. I'd actually also bought some tickets to uh, some films last Friday. Um, Herman Yao's Quattro and a Japanese anime called the uh, king of king of thorn and i left my tickets at home and oh. I, I realized it after i was at work and i wasn't able to leave to go back home to get them 
And as a result, I wasn't able to get to the screenings because I live quite a far distance from the cinema. Um, but, you know, it, 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 I don't mind supporting the cinema. It's not the first time I've bought a bunch of tickets in a festival and ended up missing some of the screenings that I bought tickets for. Um, but hopefully that won't happen with the rest of the films I'm planning to see in the festival. I do have one question about um, uh, Pinoy Sunday. Now, was that film in Putonghua or Taiwanese or Tagalog? Uh, most of it was in Tagalog um, because the characters, the Filipino characters, are speaking to each other in that. And um, there's bits of Mandarin from the from the Taiwanese characters um, and a little bit of Taiwanese, I think, by 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 certain locals. Yeah. So yeah, it's a big, it's a good mix of three languages, and it all makes sense. Now we have a all, all we have a pretty large um, Filipino population here working uh, as domestic helpers and in other, some of the other service industries. Did it appear like um, there was a, you know a significant population in the audience that were in the screening with you, or from the Philippines, or was it mostly local festival goers? That's the strange thing. Um, it was a Sunday, which means um, it's the 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 holiday for for the local Filipino um, domestic workers, and uh, well, holiday for everyone else. But no, there wasn't much of a Filipino population. And um, I asked uh, Kozo because he went to the screening yesterday, that's Wednesday night, and he said there weren't many Filipino audience as well. So I was wondering either they've seen the film already, it's from uh, two thousand nine, or they haven't heard about it or they're just, they're just not interested. Mm, interesting. All right, our next bit of news, uh, talking about local film Dream Home. Uh, this is coming from Film is Asia. And um, Dream Home is going to be having uh, double screenings in, uh, in the UK. Um, it's going to premiere on August 28th at Fright Fest um, in London's Empire... Leicester Square. And then later it's going to get a regular theatrical release um, and says it's due for around November 12th. Um, so pretty good. I'm pretty happy to see that, you know, Dream Home is uh, getting some more international play and it's going to get some international releases. Uh, would post a little bit of a word of warning if you're going to follow the link to the article um, that we've got in our notes over to the Film Biz Asia page. They have a picture there that might be considered as a NSFW, um, or and so you know if you're or if you're looking at home, you might not want your children around uh, when that image comes up. Surprising that they would put that particular image uh, up for the film on their site. Um, I mean, it's not it's not that bad. It's just a little bit of nudity, but um, even so, it when I first went over to the article, I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. Um, but I am, I'm, I'm glad that this film is getting some, some legs on the international circuit and it's going to get some general releases as well, not simply showing up in festivals. Yeah. The picture they first, they used for another dream home story. The one about the Udine premiere actually was even more graphic. They had, um, a guy with a, with a, with a whole bullet hole on the side of his mouth. Um, so that, yeah, I don't know why they keep picking the worst, the worst stills for dream home. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's like an inside joke for them or something. Maybe uh, I mean I, I know they they've got a different a few different poster series for the film, and I think one of the more interesting posters, the one that they had in Hong Kong, I didn't like at all. It was just kind of like a washed out 
Andy Warhol-ish style red with some mm-hmm. silhouetted uh, of the character from one of the stabbing scenes. And you can't really see much of what's going on in that poster. Um, you, it's, it's hard to really make anything of it until after you've seen the film and then you can pick out the scene very vividly. Um, but one of the more interesting ones was all of the main actors sort of lying around um, as, a, as a pile of, you know, bodies in various poses. They're all like lying on top of each other. And I guess that one had some issues with some, you know, various censorship boards. So apparently they've done quite a few poster series. Um, but for this particular image, I was just, you know, of, of all the hundreds of thousands of still images you could pull from the print, um, they, you know, they choose this one or, or like you were saying, one of the more graphic ones to represent the film. No, I, I think it fairly it, it, it accurately represents the film for what it is. It is a slasher film and it's quite extreme. So it's almost like a good note of warning for people who are thinking about going to watch this film. Mm, good point. Okay, our next bit of news. Um, a moment of silence for cinemas in China. Um, cinemas are going to be closed on this come or this cinemas were closed on this past Sunday. Um, August 15th, uh, to mark the passing of the people in the landslide er- areas earlier this month because of all the, the storms. Um, and it goes on to say that the theaters affected uh, by the shutdown had films like um, Wang Li Hom's Love in Disguise, um, as well as uh, High School Musical, the sort of the Disney mainland China remake, which I'm dying to see i don't know if we'll ever get that down here um but i'd really like to see their take on it um and i know we talked a little bit about this last week how we were saying we hope that with all the stuff that's going on that filmmakers won't use this as a you know a, a mode of sort of exploitation um and and here we have sort of the opposite thing going on but i'm wondering if this is you know, if, if this is going in the wrong direction as well, um, it seems like it might have been made more sense to have the cinemas get the proceeds from films for that day and use the proceeds as, you know, sort of fund relief or something for the people in that area rather than simply, you know, closing off all the theaters altogether. Uh, what do you think, Kevin? Well, yeah, it wasn't just closing the theaters. Um, it was essentially shutting down all entertainment activities, including um, canceling all TV programs to show only the news or the relief efforts. Um, also, all websites um, were turned to black and white. Uh, no entertainment news uh, website access, I believe, um, only to quote-unquote real news. Um, so it was yeah, a nationwide, um, essentially a, 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 nation, a day of the entire nation going bored to, to grief. Um I I agree that that if they really want to do something for the people, um, is take all the proceeds from from that day uh, at the cinema and donate it to charity. That would be much much more helpful instead of having the entire country shut down for a day and just forced to do nothing. Um, I mean, this is sort of the opposite approach that people in Hong Kong would take. I mean, and that's not to bring high praise on Hong Kong. I mean, Hong Kong does nothing. If there's, you know, if there's no money involved on some end or aspect of it, but you know, you look back at uh, 
at uh, the, the, the earthquake, you look back at the earthquake in Taiwan, anytime there's a big disaster and then a few days later you've got TVB and people like Eric Zhang and, and Andy Lau getting together and putting together singing a song and putting on a TV benefit to try and raise money, raise relief funds for whatever the issue may be. Here you've got sort of the opposite thing going on. I, I'm, I'm almost certain that people probably turned on their TV and said, oh, there's nothing here. Well, let's sit down and play Mahjong or something. I'm not sure if it really serves the purpose of, you know, driving the idea home that, okay, people, you need to seriously think about, you know, what's going on. That doesn't seem very beneficial to me. I mean, I, I understand the, the whole moment of silence concept, but it seems like there'd be much more proactive and beneficial ways to go about it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, this is just, I don't know, it just seems too idealist. And let's be realistic. No one, you know, normal people in, in at least in big cities, they're not really going to just sit down and, and grieve. You know, you're right. They're going to sit get together with friends and say, there's nothing to do. We can't watch TV. We can't watch movies. That's pretty much wrong. You know, uh, so no, it's not a very productive thing to do, I think. All right. Um, another bit of news, a little bit of festival-related news. In the 35th Toronto International Film Festival, that's coming up next month, um, they will be having the premiere of Wu Shan's uh, action comedy, The Butcher, The Chef, and The Swordsman. Um, during what it calls the Midnight Madness section. And this is a film with a title that's intriguing, but also seems a little bit reminiscent to me of a film um, that came out some, some years ago called The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. Um, so I'm not really sure what, what we can expect from this film, but the title at least is, is intriguing. Um, it says it's the first time that a film from China has gotten a, a slot um, in sort of, in sort of this, this section. So here we are again with Chinese film, you know, uh, doing some interesting things and making some interesting footprints um, in different festivals around the world. Um, any, any word about this, Kevin, uh, about this film? This is coming from, uh, I think it's the production company that did uh, some of the films like Crazy Stone and um, some of the other ones, which were fairly well regarded. Uh, this is Daniel Yu. Um, well, he's production company. He ran Andy Lau's um, Focus First Cut series, which uh, made Crazy Stone and I believe um, I'll Call You, also um, two other films. Um, so he he, he br branched off and uh, decided to make this film with um, 20th Century Fox, who was making their second Chinese language film here. I haven't heard anything about this film before. Um, today is the first time I've heard about it, but it seems somewhat interesting. Um, if it's in the midnight lineup, um, I think we should expect something more than your usual art film. Um, I mean, I kind of, I kind of have my, I kind of look forward to watching it if it ever comes here in Hong Kong at the Asian Film Festival or next year at the Hong Kong International Film Festival. But other than that, you know, good for them. All right, and our last bit of news. This week, um, John Woo is going to IMAX. This article coming from Hollywood Reporter. Um, Kevin, you want to tell us a little bit more about this? Yeah, um, after John Woo co-directs his current film, uh, Reign of Assassins, which is premiering next month in Venice or Berlin, I believe, he will be working on um, 
aerial battle film called Flying Tigers. Um, this is kind of his, his another step into coming back to the present. Uh, it's going to be a World War II film about uh, Chinese pilots who fought the Japanese. Um, so it's a pretty huge deal. Looks like he's gonna he's gonna spend another ninety million US dollars, um, slightly less than Redcliffe, or actually more than Redcliffe. I think ten million is more than ten million more than Redcliffe. Um, and he's already made a deal with IMAX to to convert the film into the format. I'm not sure if he's going to be shooting in IMAX or it's going to be DMR, just like AfterShock is doing currently. Um, either way, I'm kind of excited because um, I think. While Aftershock was a big waste on on IMAX, I think John Woo is still a very good visual filmmaker, um, especially with action spectacle. And I will be quite excited to watch this film in IMAX. Mm. How about you, Paul? What do you think? Well, I'm not. I'm not real keen on. You know, here here we are with another World War Two, uh, China versus Japan movie. Um, you know, I, I I like John Woo. I tend to like his movies. I loved Red Cliff. Um, both of the films I thought together as a whole were, were fantastic. And I, you know, I don't know. I mean, he says he's in the article, he said, mentions he's thinking about getting Liam Neeson, who I tend to like very much as an actor. Um, but I can just see this sort of buying into yet. Here's another film that's going to sell itself via, you know, growing Chinese nationalism. And I don't know that that kind of doesn't appeal to me quite as much. Um, oh, definitely. I mean, look at look at um, later in the article. He says the the censors at the um, a Chinese um, censorship authority uh, hasn't interfered the script, and that the the People's Liberation Army Air Force is encouraging him to make the film. So it's going to be another case of um, government supported nationalism. You know, World War Two movies I already made one of these World War Two movies, where it's Native Americans versus Japanese soldiers. Uh, that was Wind Talkers. Uh, so no, he hasn't had a good track record of war movies at all. Well, that's all the news we have for this week. So let's move on to our East Screen film for the week. And that is the new Aaron Kwok feature, City Under Siege. Um, so, Kevin, I leave it to you. Take us through the city that is under oh. siege. It's more like audience under siege <laughs> when they watch this movie. <laughs> Jesus. Um... So, City Under Siege is the latest film by uh, Hong Kong director Benny Chen, who um, I, I personally think he's one of the best Hong Kong directors, action directors in the last decade. He's churned out some good old-fashioned action spectacle that made Hong Kong so popular. Hong Kong cinema was so popular in the 80s and 90s. Um, unfortunately, this film will not belong to part of that canon. Um, this is, I believe, his first sci-fi film. Uh, it is a film about mutants. Um, 
and I let's get into the plot. Um, it takes it opens in Malaysia where um, a, a team of traveling circus performers are performing, um, and one of them is Sunny, uh, played by Aaron Kwok, who who is only taken in because um, his father was once uh, a flying dagger performer and um, the troop's leader, played by Yuan Hua, uh, promised to take care of him. So um, Aaron, or Sonny, he's, he's only acting as a clown while the real performers all hate him. Uh, and was led by um, Da Chu, who was played by Colin Chow. If you last remember, he, he got his ass kicked by Donnie in Flashpoint and was also in the Matrix sequels. Anyway, so the, the, the bad, the evil circus performers, um, they go into the woods one night and they come across some, guess what, Japanese-produced uh, poison gas. Yes, the Japanese uh, apparently made these gas uh, to train superhuman beings, but they were soundly beaten by the Chinese or something um, before they left. So the gas were left there uh, under underground and... Um, these people uncovered the cir- circus performers. They uncovered the gas, and they managed to become infected. Um, and also infected is Sunny. So while Sunny managed just to float his way back to Hong Kong, the the new superpower evil circus performer mutants goes back to Hong Kong, and they decide to rob banks. Yes, when you have superpower, you don't have to rule the world. You just need to rob banks. Um, and also, they, they try to, they're obsessed with why they look bad, why they look terrible, why they look mutated. Um, meanwhile, Aaron is back, uh, Sonny is back in Hong Kong, and um, for some reason, he, uh, the, 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 the gas didn't really have much effect on him uh, physically, not only because he's one of the four heavenly kings, but also for some <laughs> reason that was never thoroughly explained. <laughs> um, somehow, when, when he returns, he, he's in this really huge fat suit or I guess he became really fat I'm, I'm guessing it's bloated with, with seawater and he's picked up by a, a failing reporter played by Shu Chi um, Shu Chi's career is in trouble because a younger a younger and hotter looking model like anchor played by Christy Chow not really much of a stretch for her um, is taking over her job and also because her boss is Terence Yin and Terence Yin just plays these kind of characters so it's totally natural um, anyway, so as Sunny slowly begins to find his power, the, 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 the mutated mutants are robbing banks and, and they begin to come into, come into conflict with each other. Um, and as the mutants rob their banks, the, the Hong Kong police who are totally useless here, uh, decided to recruit the help of two main experts, uh, expert to the supernatural, kind of like a scullion motor of China, I guess, uh, played by Wu Jing and Zhang Jingchu. So they decide to, um, along with the Hong Kong police, they decide to use Sunny as bait to attract the mutants, uh, to attract the mutants' attention, to catch them, and then now you send them, you got a battle going on, um, and that's City Under Siege. Now, I make this, I guess, sound a little bit better than it is. Uh, the whole thing is poorly conceived. The, the whole plot is just derivative. Um, it's not even. It's nowhere near as good as the better mutant films out there, like say X Men, or um, I don't know any other Roger Corman mutant movie. Um, and a lot of the things just don't make sense. Like I was saying, why do mutants, when they have superpowers, superhuman strength, why do they need to rob? 
banks. Um, and for some reason, they're using uh, flying daggers as their weapon of choice, you know, as opposed to their superhuman strength. Um, again, the Japanese thing. Um, using the Japanese as a villain, uh, even to the point of flashing back to the evil Japanese soldiers, looking on evilly, laughing as the, the whole poison gas starts to work. It's obviously a mainland, mainland effort, especially when the Hong Kong police are portrayed as useless and then the two super experts from China come and save the day. Um, this is especially sad because Benny Chen used to have Mandarin speaking villains in his movie all the way up to his previous film Connected. Um, but now somehow the superheroes are all speaking Mandarin and the incompetent people including Aaron Kwok's character himself are all made based in Hong Kong and speak Cantonese. Um, the whole story is just kind of silly um, the villains, the villains, the whole thing with the villains' intention to just look good, you know, instead of actually doing something useful with their new found evil powers, um, it's way too silly. The whole thing about um, having Sunny be product placements to to up his popularity in order to help the police image, way too silly. Um, it's you know that's intentionally silly, but then you got you know really unintentional stuff like Colin Chow's acting and his whole um, third act twist about trying to look for love and him being lonely and the whole thing is just uh, a mess. Um, it's also way too long. The story just repetitive and it's too long. The story is um, just the structure. It follows a certain structure of. Uh, Aaron Kwok being silly, being stupid, and the evil men showing up and try to kill him. It's um, fairly repetitive, um, and it's really too long. Um, and then you got some really, again, some really silly lines like um, Sonny's father. His his whole men motto is um, a flying dagger. It's like a it's like life. You have to have a target. It's just so silly. It 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 really sounds like something that you give to a recent college graduate, rather than like a forty year old retarded circus performer like Aaron. Um, and also, you know, you got some really classic performances. Um, again, I was talking about Colin Chow. Uh, his his overacting here is a performance of a lifetime. Also, um, I don't know who decided to make Aaron such a dumb character. Um, it's just totally un unlikable. Zhang Jingchu looks again for the second film in a row since Floating Scholar 2 looks like she's acting in a much better movie. Wu Jing kicks ass. That's all I have to say. Wu Jing kicks ass. I have no complaint about Wu Jing. Um, other than that, really one of the most embarrassing and just over the top and just overblown disasters of the year. That's City Under Siege. I guess I have more to say about it than, than Jade and the Pearl because, you know, it really does provoke a much bigger response that way and you know that's if you're into that sort of thing good for you but if you're looking for a good film this isn't it yeah this is oh. uh you know my 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 worst films of the year meter is like you know filling up very quickly i'm gonna have a lot to sort through um, it's a tough year it's a really tough it's, year it's amazingly bad i mean the first thing that obviously stood out in my mind is it's, it's it's those dang japanese again you know the japanese are the the root of all evil they're responsible for uh, all bad things and so here they are what are they doing they're experimenting with the super soldier formula in world war ii and um 
the, the funny thing is, is that the, the very first experiment they're doing, it's not on, it's not on a Chinese soldier or um, an Asian soldier, but it looks like it's, it's, uh, it's on a British or a Western Mine worker guy. or something. Yeah. And, oh yeah, it is a Western. And the guy starts to transform, and it's like the technology from the old Incredible Hulk TV show. I thought I was looking at Lou Ferrigno for a moment. It's like the way that they get this guy to transform using, you know, sort of um, uh, a worm's eye view to shoot the guy, and he's got you know some some brow makeup on to make his brow look heavier, and he's just going. You know, it's like, I, I thought I was actually watching S-certs from the old Hulk show. It was so bad. Um, it, it, it's like Mr. Twister all over again. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like the, the origins of Mr. Twister, right? Um, <laughs> and here, you know, the, the, the sad thing is, is, you know, you have this character, um, you know, Sonny, and played by Aaron. And it, it has all the potential to be really epic. Because not mm-hmm. only is he in a fat suit, but he's in a clown suit in the same movie, <laughs> right? So, so that in itself is epic, but it's epic fail. But it's still epic, <laughs> you know? I mean, um, who, whoever thought this, this was going to be a good idea. So, yeah, basically the whole crew, they, they, you know, they're, they're circus performers. And, you know, it, it's sort of the stereotype that if you're, you know, if you're a carny, if you're a circus guy, you tend to be on the wrong side of the law. I mean, they have this same kind of stereotype in the West as well. Um, so most of them are bad guys. Aaron's just dumb. You know, he's like <laughs> a little bit low IQ or a die B, as they might say in, in Cantonese. <laughs> um, we never really figure out why. We never really figure out what his problem is, if, if he was just born that way or, you know, his dad threw the knife wrong one day and <laughs> clipped him or, you know, <laughs> that's never explained. But... They all get infected um, by this by this neurotoxin or this biogenetic toxin, whatever, and they all start to change. Except um, for Aaron, who gets fat because apparently his body sucks up the seawater, and that somehow keeps him alive as he floats to Hong Kong. Um, but we, yeah, we we never really figure out why he's you know what what the catalyst was that prevented him from hulking out and becoming you know all ugly like like the villains. Um, the, the sad thing is I, I didn't care about Sonny. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was more, far more interested in the side characters, Wu Jing and, um, Zhang Jing Chu. Uh, they, they had this sort of like X-Files thing going on. They kept talking about mutants that they've battled before. And it's like, I wanted to know more about them. I wanted more focus on them. And they were yeah, just there they, for when the... they start talking about getting married, it was this. Yeah. I mean, that, that was okay. I mean, I, I was just far more interested in them and what was going on with them. And and like you said, Wu Jing, the action scenes with him are, are pretty good. Um, he does a little bit, he, he was mugging to the camera a little bit. I don't know, I don't blame him for that. That's, that's the direction really. But it's like he was on over macho mode um, with the sunglasses <laughs> and, and the, you know, the, the, the turning of the head and the, the stare downs. Um, really need a little bit less of that, I think. Um, and then the whole promotional thing. I mean, it mid, the mid part of the movie is taken up by basically the police deciding that, okay, we've got this guy, he's got superpowers, Sonny, and we don't know what to do with him, so we're going to turn him into sort of a police PR person. 
and he's going to go around and he's going to do product placement and ads and that whole thing. It's trying to comment on the local PR industry, uh, I'm sure. It just wasn't very interesting. Um, it was it was mm-hmm. far too comic. It really seemed out of place. So you've got all that going on. At the same time, you've got super villains in the city of Hong Kong going around robbing banks constantly. And nobody wants Aaron to go out and stop them. They just want him to make more commercials. So it's like, right. it's it, it just doesn't make sense. The villains themselves, really stereotypical. Um, even though this is supposed to be sort of a science fiction superhero type of a genre, they're mutants. Um, they're not mutants in the, in the X-Men sort of mutant way that they've been born this way. They're more like they've mutated, you know, because of the, the chemicals or whatever. So they're more like the Fantastic Four, I guess. They're not traditional Marvel-style mutants. But it's the same. They're, they're trying to go for that same feel here. But the, the way the villains act, I mean, it's very much the same way of the villains act if you watch Future X Cops or you watch any number of over-the-top villain performances from films in the 90s. There's just nothing There's nothing that stands out. Even their abilities are very generic. They, they're all turning ugly. Um, they're hulking out a little bit, so I'm assuming they're stronger. Aaron's faster for some reason, but we're never really sure. Well, what is the extent of their abilities? I mean, are they all the same? Are they all different? Um, there's nothing that really makes them very unique. Um, and that that seemed to me that made them lack character and also made the film lack character. Shu Chi, I mean... She was upstaged by Chrissy Chow, who had a very minor part. And got to wonder, is that art reflecting life? Because <laughs> we don't see a lot of Shu Chi these days. And it seems like Chrissy Chow is in every other film that we're talking about. So um, I don't know. This was just a bad film. I, I w- it wasn't that funny for, for the reasons it was trying to be. It wasn't that entertaining. Um, I, I actually think on the whole, and I'm kind of surprised I'm saying this, I enjoyed Future X Cops more. Um, no, <laughs> that may be sacrilegious, but uh, at least that film. It you know if the if this film didn't have that whole middle thing with Aaron being the PR boy, if it was if there were more action scenes in that part, if there was more of them working together with Wu Jing and and trying to trap these guys or or, or hunt these guys down, if it would have stayed true to that kind of a genre. I think it would have been better. It just lost me in that whole middle section, and then by the end, I just didn't care anymore. Yeah, I think they were trying to make this new thing so then people won't accuse them of trying to be X-Men, but they, ran, they, they went totally the wrong way because they haven't learned to get the basics down of the genre before yeah. they move on from to it. Uh, and they sort of want to skip the step where they're being accused of, of copying Hollywood, but hey, first know how to copy Hollywood before you try and improve on it. And they came and do that properly. Yeah. And, you know, if Lao Cheng Wan would have watched this film, he would have said this. So bad. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, City Under Siege. See it at your own peril. You will be mutated by it. You're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right, let's move on to talk about our West Screen news. Not a lot of West Screen news this week. Um, one little bit 
one little news story of note. Uh, we talked last time about the Hollywood remake of the film The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. The big news this week is that the main female protagonist of Lisbeth Salander has been cast um, with a young actress named Runam, Rooney Mara, who I'm not very familiar with. Um, but she has won out the role over some other higher-profile actresses that we mentioned last time. And according to this article coming from Reuters, it said that in order to test for the, or the role, um, finalists had to agree to test deals with salaries in the $150,000 to $200,000 range, as well as options for the second and third movies in the, pl- third movies in the planned trilogy. Um, and that would bring with them significant salary bumps. So uh, I guess this is, you know, good news. The film's going forward. Um, I'll have to do a little bit more research on Miss Mara to uh, see some of the stuff she's done before. Um, but uh, I not really much I can make of this story because I'm not that familiar with her. Uh, I still say people should go out and see the original. Miss mm. yes. Mara is, is, is going to be in... Um... Fincher's up, Mr. Fincher's upcoming film, the the Facebook movie, The Social Network. So I'm sure that's where he he found her, and uh, makes me look just all that much forward to seeing how she does in The Social Network. Mm. Uh, here it says, uh, yeah, she was the girl who fought Freddy Krueger earlier this year in the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, which we neither of us uh, ended up going out and seeing. I heard it was actually not that good, um, though I was a big fan of the early. The early Freddy Krueger movies with uh, Robert Englund. Uh, after some of my friends had seen uh, the remake, they had kind of the things they had kind of told me kind of put me off, and I just figured I'd wait for a uh, DVD or a rental. All right, our West Screen film for this week is the animated film coming from Universal, uh, Despicable Me. So this is a film that stars uh, Steve Carell as the voice of the primary character named Gru, who is a supervillain or an aspiring supervillain. And he's constantly trying to pull off little schemes. And his schemes are never quite as big as he imagines. So for example... Um, he plans to steal the Statue of Liberty, and he ends up stealing the Statue of Liberty from Las Vegas at the New York <laughs> Hotel. Um, so he is somewhat successful, but he's not quite as successful as he'd like to be. Uh, he's he's very similar to a Boris-style character from Rocky and Bullwinkle. Um, and the thing that I like about his role here is that he really departs from his normal sort of Steve Carell shtick that he's done um, for quite a long time, you know, starting from The Daily Show and into his movies like um, uh, Get Smart and The 40-Year-Old Virgin. He, he kind of has this certain way, this certain characterization that he that I see him bringing to a lot of these roles. And here he's, he's in a different kind of a voice, and you kind of really lose sight of the fact that it's Steve Carell, so I think he did a really good job. Um, the other thing of note in this film... Um, are the very cute minions that you'll see advertised that popping up all over the place. And these are very much um, iterations of, you know, sort of similar to the toy stories, little green men, 
Um, but in the film, they actually are funny enough to sort of stand on their own. And I think that they'll have some longevity as a character. And I'm sure you'll probably see them being sold on lunchboxes and little plush toys and all kinds of things uh, as the film goes on to make more money. Um, the basic story is that Gru, in trying to become the world's top supervillain, um, he wants to, he has this plot that he wants to steal the moon. And in order to do so, though, he needs to get funding from the supervillain bank. And the supervillain bank, like all banks, uh, doesn't want to give him the money unless he can come up with, you know, a, a significant um, collateral. And in the collateral in this case is he needs, he needs um, more than just the plans that he's got. He needs some devices that are going to help him steal the moon. So he needs to get those devices before the, the criminal bank will give him the funding to go through with his plot. And in the meantime, there's another villain um, who's <clears throat> called Vector, who's a, sort of a new kid on the block, and he's risen up the ranks. And he's now competing with Gru, and he's trying to um, stop Gru from his plan because he doesn't want Gru to sort of outshine him. So it, it's a competition between the two. And in thrown into this mix, we have three orphan girls who Gru ends up uh, adopting to help further he, uh, his nefarious plans, although he doesn't let them know that at first. And so what you end up with is sort of this story of a bad guy who's not really that bad of a guy um, getting in touch with these three girls and yeah, learning, learning to deal with people and deal with family. Um, you get some really good performances from some of the supporting cast, uh, people like Russell Brand, Will Arnett, Jason Segal, and Julie Andrews, who plays Gru's mom, uh, in a really great role. Um, the young actresses they have playing the three girls are also very good, but it's really sort of Steve Carell and his performance that stands out here. Um, the ending credit sequences are really funny. They use the minions to actually play with the 3D technology. Uh, in, a, in a funny and interesting way. And I'm not sure if they'll leave this in on the DVD because if, you know, unless when the DVD comes out, you know, people are going to all have 3D TVs and um, 3D versions of, of the film, uh, I'm not sure how well it will play. So I'm not sure if they'll leave that in or put in something different. We'll have to wait and see. Um, but as I said, the plot is a bit simple, a bit straightforward. It's fairly nonsensical in the same vein as, like, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Um, if you can, you know, suspend your disbelief and just enjoy nonsense um, for the sake of a good story, um, I think that this is, a, this is a decent film. It's a very good initial attempt by Universal and Illumination uh, Entertainment. They've already said there's a sequel possibly planned, so this may be the start of another up-and-coming animation company that can do some... Uh, early competition with DreamWorks and Pixar. Now, this is this film. I mean, a lot of people have been comparing this film with uh, Toy Story Three. Um, this again is sort of a a freshman entry, and it's really unfair to compare it um, given the track rec record of somebody like Pixar. Um, but it's a decent film. It's really good for the for the younger kids if you've got younger kids, and if you're a kid at heart, I think you'd enjoy it as well. I want. I'm a little curious about is the a lot of the advertising um, covers the the little minions, 
Um, those those are kind of my main point of attraction. I'm going to watch the film. Hard hard or the minions. Yeah, I, I really liked them. Um, you know, Gia saw it with me. She really she really found them adorable. Um, and it's interesting because they're, you know, a lot of them look alike, but they're kind of all different. Um, I, I, I'm, you know, they're, they're, they show lots of them in, in some of the larger screenshots, but there are a couple of them that are like named. Um, but they speak, they don't, when they speak, they speak in sort of a, uh, non nonsense kind of speak, sort of like if you play the video game, the Sims or other games where there's a dialogue, but there's, it's not actually a language. Um, but Gru can understand it, and um, what some, they do a lot of sort of pantomime sometimes when they're speaking, and that gets some ideas across to the audience. So um, they, I, good, you know, comedic uh, entertainment, um, very very well written. Again, it's it's a bit simple in terms of the story, but this is very firmly, I think, targeting uh, younger kids much more so than uh, some of the Pixar stuff. And I mean, there's there's enough there for adults. There's plenty of gags, um, but I'd say yeah, it's a it's definitely worth seeing if you get a chance to see it. All right, let's move over to some quick comments we got in. Yeah, David Harris uh, posted a comment last week's episode. He said uh, to make note that Squatter Town also has a Facebook page, so if you Listen to last week's episode. We mentioned the uh, independent film project by Kevin's friend and classmate, Marco Spamberg, who's doing... Spamberg. Spamberg, yeah. Is, he's doing a Squatter Town, and we mentioned some of the websites, and they're up in the notes, and David has pointed out here that they have a Facebook page as well. So if you're on the Facebook, and you're out there giving Mark uh, Zuckerberg your attention and your advertising dollars... You might throw some of your attention over to Squatter Town's way as well. Um, and he also points out that Dave sounds like a good name for a magician to me. And uh, <laughs> I guess having the name David, because I made the comment last week when we talked about um, Sorcerer's Apprentice, I was kind of ragging on the fact that the main protagonist's name is Dave, and you've got all these other interesting names like Balthazar and whatnot. So yeah, Mr. Harris, I, if you are a wizard in disguise... Uh, possibly the next uh, Hogwarts alumni. I do. Uh, no, no offense intended. Um, uh, we got another message from Teen Lun Lao again. He says, um, talking about the Fortune Star selling their collection, which we talked about last week, um, he says that he was the one who retranslated the earlier batch of non-remastered DVDs. Uh, some of them were good since those were redone from the ground up. And some were bad. Um, and he says he wasn't the only one doing these translations. Um, he says he worked on Beach of the War God, Robotrix. And he says, now that Fortune started, it sucks that Fortune started did not allow me to deal with any of their remastered titles. They had a condition on that, on their contract that Joy Sales had to release those exactly the way they expected. But they can do what they can do whatever they want with the non-remastered DVD releases, um, and that includes a complete subtitle overhaul. And I can tell you, from personal experience, that a lot of those do need some subtitle overhauls. Um, again, we're just gonna have to wait and see what they end up doing with this collection. Um, but it would be really nice if we could, 
if they put some money into it and, and actually do some uh, do some remaster, do some new subtitles, and put some work into it. Don't think it's going to happen, though. All right, I think that's going to wrap up our show for this week. Uh, Kevin, any final thoughts? Um, no, I mean, I'll talk a little bit more about um, the Hong Kong Summer International Film Festival next week. Also, uh, what kind of films are we expecting next week? We have no Hong Kong films this week. No Hong Kong films and uh, not, not really any big uh, Hollywood films. We might be looking at um, Au Revoir Taipei. And, mm-hmm. and I did watch uh, Vampires Suck, uh, we, which uh, we, we yeah, might talk about sucked. that. And uh, I think we will, if if I don't forget my ticket, we can possibly talk about My Name is Khan, which I'm very anxious to talk about. Um, so, yeah, well, we can look forward to that. That will be show number 39, 39 and 38 of these in the can now. Um, if you'd like to follow along with what's going on, you can find us at our website, as usual. That is www.kongcast.com and you can find the show notes there, links to a lot of things we're talking about. You can find uh, trailers to some of the films that we focus on each week. Um, You can also find my Twitter if you're interested in following with my daily musings and uh, little rants of affection on various things. You can also follow Mr. Ma over at twitter.com slash the Golden Rock. Uh, that is one word, the Golden Rock. And he's got much more interesting things to say about stuff going on than I do, so I would urge you to go over and follow him. You can also find some of his writings over at uh, lovehongkongfilm.com, where he keeps a blog that he sometimes updates. And Kevin, you've got some writings elsewhere on the web. Where could people go to find you? Yes, as I mentioned just now, I write um, reviews of English language films that are released in Hong Kong on www.ypmovies.com.hk. That's the Hong Kong Yellow Pages uh, movies page. Uh, next week, I'm not sure what I'm writing next week, but this week I have um, the comedy Vampire Suck, which is already up on the net, so go check it out. All right. So that will wrap up things for this time, and as usual, we will wish you good viewing, and we'll see you all next week. See you next week, everybody. I don't know. I'd kind of be more excited, I think, if he was doing Face Off 2 or something. Yeah, maybe uh, he, we all he needs to bring Van Damme out of retirement, you know, hard target. It, it's just four. It, it, <laughs> it's just like Chow and Fat. I mean, when is John Woo going to make another Cantonese film? Yeah, Confucius 2. <laughs> <laughs>